millennial know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb. And then smart again. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Great to see you. Thank you again for being here. I'm, I feel especially grateful today to have you and have everyone here with us today. Oh, why especially grateful? I realized that as we record this today, it has been exactly one year since we were able to do our last show before a live audience. Oh, that's bittersweet, J. Yeah, Keith. a whole year. And it's weird because I'm very used to only seeing you in a box on my Zoom screen, and I don't want to get used to it. (laughs) At the same time, it feels like it's flown by, and yet it feels like it's been 50 years. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are having that kind of experience. I'm just so grateful that because of you and because of our producer and editor, Julian, and our producer, Jim, that we've been able to find a way to to still pull these shows off. And kind of it's kind of opened it up because we've been able to talk to people from around the world who we wouldn't normally uh, get to have when we're doing our live in-person shows. Have you been able to find any kind of making lemonade out of lemons from this whole year of pandemic? I, like you, am thankful that we are able to still do this. You know, I am a stand-up comic that's my original job. Right. I feel like that's been a bigger adjustment. Doing sure. stand-up comedy without an audience feels very strange. This one, I feel like the adjustment was weird at the very beginning. It mm-hmm. felt strange. But now I do feel like we've gotten into a rhythm. And like you said, it's a double-edged sword because we've been able to have guests from the UK and yeah. you know all over the country because we're on Zoom. They don't necessarily have to be with us in our location. So that's been the happy part of it. Yeah. But that said, man, as soon as it is safe and we were able, I am going to be so happy to... Do you think you'll actually delete Zoom from your from your phone and your computer? I like, would love to. If I could, yeah. if I could make a physical representation. And do like a burning man on my front lawn, like an effigy of Zoom and just light that on fire. Exactly. I'm very (laughs) grateful that I had it and I'd be even more grateful never to have it again. Well, Helen, this is going to surprise you, but today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a seven-time Emmy-winning journalist who hosts Love Games on Discovery Plus and The Suki and Scott Show on Facebook Live. It's Sukanya Krishnan. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's you. Hi, guys. Hi, Jay Keith. Hi, Helen. Nice to see you guys. Great to see you and great to see you again. For those who don't know, we work together on Love Games, the show that you hosted that's on Discovery Plus. I was the writer for that show, and I got to spend a lot of time looking at your lovely face on Zoom. <laughs> too much time. Too much time. We had a great time. And Helen, I'm so excited to be here and nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. You You've put us all to shame by, by looking so presentable for it, the it, Zoom. It's, you know, it's only from the waist, like really from here <laughs> up. And I literally just slapped it on as quickly as possible. Whatever you Trust do. Trust me. I'm wearing a half-tied bathrobe on the <laughs> And that's an improvement. Usually she doesn't even have time. Yeah. Very classy. Suki, for those who don't know, Love Games is a game show that has the couples from 90 Day Fiance as contestants. How well did you know the 90 Day Universe before? Because I'd only kind of heard of it and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. 
Okay, so I was obsessed and a super fan, so it was a little scary for me to actually be talking to them because you know when you fangirl out, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden these people are in there. It was it was it was a good thing. It was a really good thing, and I think the most surprising thing for me was um, some of them were really wonderful people. They're always sliding to my DMs now, which is kind of <laughs> cool. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, thank you. I usually have other kind of people that slide into my DMs. So it's kind of nice that it's the cool kind right now. So that, I like it nice. from the 98 nice. fam. Did you end up either with a favorite couple or maybe a couple that uh, you hadn't given much consideration before? Yeah. All right. There's a lot of them and they were all quite nice actually. Yes. And if you consider it, I mean, we shot it during the pandemic. So we're right. all in our respective homes. So it was a little difficult and difficult and challenging in some ways, but David and Annie were mm-hmm. just themselves. Annie's teaching me how to cook some Thai food. I mean, like... <laughs> It's a win-win for my husband. (laughs) I also love Evelyn and Corey. Angela, very funny. Yeah. And we really kind of hit a lot of those beautiful, nuanced things in the show. So even if you aren't a fan, Mm -hmm. I think you walk away having fun. And I like that as a game show fan, because again, I didn't really have much investment in these couples going into it, but just as as a game show and the the suspense and oh. uh, the, the the tension, and then the, those those fun moments where Jay Keith, I match love telling something. people yeah. no zero points for you, <laughs> no wrong answer. I was like, okay, I, I love yeah. serving it up like that. And now yeah. I'm on the other side. Oh, oh. I gotta tell you, I'm a little nervous, a little freaked out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try and bring it. I'm gonna try and bring it. Payback's a bit. Suki, buckle up. <laughs> yes. I know it. I know it well. <laughs> well, I, I want to say also that uh, we love David and Annie as well because they actually were experts on this show. We did an episode with Lauren Ash from Superstore. One of her oh, topics was 90 Day Fiance, and we got David and Annie to come and be on our experts. I can see why you especially enjoyed them. Were they talking about the boom boom? Because that's they, they were talking about, about the boom boom. Yes. <laughs> they, we, there was a lot of bonus footage of the boom boom that uh, was no. going to show up as a bonus content later. <laughs> Uh, Helen mentioned in your introduction that you have won seven Emmys, which is just wow. incredible. Your first one was for live coverage on 9-11. And I understand that footage actually ended up in the National September 11 Memorial and Museum. Whoa. What does that mean to you? A lot. I think, yeah. you know, out of everything that has sort of transpired in those days, you know, to be able to be in that museum for me that morning and to kind of navigate those waters was incredibly intense. You know, yeah. I was a young Reporter, I was actually a fill-in anchor. Can you imagine? You weren't even supposed to be there. Days. Oh my wow. goodness! And they were like, "Hey, you know, someone's on vacation. Would you like to fill in anchor?" It happened to be September what? 11th. And so, you know, I had a wonderful senior anchor next to me who kind of guided me through those waters because it was really overwhelming in real time trying to put those images into words and sort of assessing what happened. I really even haven't been in the 9-11 Memorial Museum because I'm not there yet. Mm. Having lived it and lost friends and then yeah. covered all of the memorials since. Yes. And your husband's a firefighter wow. in New York yeah, as well. Yeah, my husband's a chief in the FDNY. And so um, it, hit, it, it hits close to Whoa. home. But I would definitely say that that's some of my proudest work. I was going to express jealousy in the fact that you have seven more Emmys than I do. But after, after listening to that, I'm like, give her all the Emmys. You deserve more than give her, give, her, give her another seven. Jeez. I want you to have so many that I'm, I just, I'm going to come over with a tote bag and be jangling on the way out. And be like, I don't know. No, I, don't, I have no idea yeah. what. I, I don't know. What it's good because is. in a pinch on Halloween, if you forgot to get candy for the trick-or-treaters, you can just give them one of your Emmys. <laughs> 
<laughs> Suki, you, of course, have done a lot of morning TV, but your current show, The Suki and Scott Show, is not exactly on TV, but oh, still no, a similar vibe. Yeah, tell us yeah. about it. Well, listen, you know, Scott and I, was uh, we worked as uh, co-hosts together on, on a morning show here in New York. And as luck would have it and how industries are, you know, things change, people change, administrations change, and then you just got to change with it. Mm-hmm. So Scotty and I had such a good time just working together. We just kind of used our resources to create a different platform. And it really happened during the pandemic, believe it or not. People were just so, I feel like, so depressed, like all of us. We didn't know what the heck was going on in this world. And, you know, we were all watching press conferences right and left. I mean, I'm just trying to take you back to where we were. Mm. You know, we were just different people then. And we were like, you know, let's do something for one hour where we can pull our resources and just entertain people about the mundane ridiculousness of what we're dealing with right now. Just a little laughter, just a little laughter. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing in particular we're talking about, Mm -hmm. but just spreading some joy and happiness in the mundane nature of, you know, our, our circumstances. Yeah. And viewers get to interact with you as well. I, I see a lot of engagement when I watch those episodes. And that's the part I love about it is that because it gives me that live TV constant connection. Um, and that's something that I, I really do miss because I do love live TV yeah. a lot. Uh, and so this is a platform where I'm able to engage on a different level. Yeah. But like you said, the engagement comes right back at you where people are having conversations. They're talking to you. They're talking amongst themselves. It's like, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and they do. Don't mind us. And We're just doing a newscast Don't here. mind <laughs> us. Don't mind it. It's okay. Grab a cup of coffee. You go talk. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. Well, last thing I want to ask you about, speaking of live uh, TV and speaking of happiness, I have to admit that one of my guilty pleasures, especially when I have a little wine or some other substances, is I love watching YouTube videos of live TV news bloopers. (laughs) And uh, I find it hilarious. I know it's not the highest form of comedy or art, but man, do I enjoy it. And I'm wondering, in all of your time doing it, have have you made any of those uh, super cuts that uh, people might have seen? So have. What are some of the memorable ones? I think... Colbert did a thing about when news anchors want to say the F word, but they can't. So mm-hmm. they use hand gestures. <laughs> and oh, no. I was kind of doing a pumping of the fist like this. <laughs> and there was another one with Quest Love where I'm like, hey, let's do like a Soul Train line. And I was wearing really high heels. Oh. And as luck would have it, I fell down on the Soul Train oh, no. line. Oh. And Quest Love's like, no. Quest Love's like, no. <laughs> going to be on YouTube forever. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Well, thank goodness it is because I enjoy it very much. And I enjoy even more that you have joined us today. Sukanya Krishnan, thanks for being here, Suki. Thank you, guys. So excited. So excited. All right, Helen, against whom will Suki be competing? He is a professional wrestler, comedy performer, and host of the podcast, The Art of Wrestling with Colt Cabana, who can be seen on All Elite Wrestling Wednesdays on TNT. It's Colt Cabana. Hello, Colt Cabana. Hello. You forgot my nickname. Which is? Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Really? (laughs) How could you forget that? How could I? You actually have that written on your uniform. Oh, yeah. And in my uh, entrance music. Yes, yes. Well, we've got a little David and Annie crossover from 90 Day here. Well, Colt, what is the state of professional wrestling right now in in the pandemic? Are you able to perform for people? Oh, the state is Florida. That's the only place where people are allowed. (laughs) You know, if I had to guess one state that would still be allowing it, that would unfortunately be the one I would guess. And that's where we find ourselves. So, yeah, it's so hard. You know, it's kind of crazy. I signed a contract with AEW All Elite Wrestling 
in February of 2020. And before that, minus two very weird years with the WWE, I was known as this independent DIY mm -hmm. doing shows in VFW halls and auditoriums, high school gyms. Like that was my thing. Finally, in February 2020, I was like, all right, I'm going to sign a contract and give up these small shows. And that's the second that this all <laughs> oh, went down. Man. I mean, luckily for me, I now have a paycheck from a wonderful company yeah. and we're still making television and yeah. I'm still able to perform as a professional wrestler. Yeah. And sadly, like the grungy underground scene that I championed for years has mm. has wasted away. It's very sad. That's mm. that's the state. Much like Florida, very sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about you so much is that uh, even though there's the pandemic and you're not able to go out live as much, is that you still engage with your fans. So your Patreon and then you do these uh, Instagram live shows. Did I have this right? Did, it looked like you were just connecting with random people who joined Instagram at the time that you were on. When I found out that you could do that on Instagram live... Yeah. Because like I think I've always dreamed of having like a call-in radio show where you just BS with people, yeah. and then Instagram there was a feature where people could just plug and play. You don't need a producer; you just yeah. push a button and they pop up. So um, yeah, I, that's kind of been my thing for years. Is extracurricular outside of the wrestling yeah. ring? I always said like we hey we can wrestle on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but I, I'm ready to work. I've got a really good work ethic. Yeah. I want to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all the other days, you know. And so I've always been someone who's really pursued other stuff with my wrestling, yeah. whether it's acting, whether it's podcasting mm -hmm. very early on, whether it's even the, like MySpace stuff back in the day. And, and I love doing those Instagram live talk shows. And then also Twitch is something I've picked up. Right. I, I know. I saw you on there last night. I, I didn't recognize the game you were playing. You you, you look, you seem to be jumping on polygons and something would happen. To oh, them. you can tell yes, I'm, I'm a gamer, addicted. can't you? Well, I am not. So okay. I'm with you. <laughs> okay, great. But I was like, we need something to do here. I'm home more than I should. I, I, I was on the road for 200 days a year for 20 straight years. Man. And now I'm sitting home. And so I've picked up gaming a little bit. Mm -hmm. Fall Guys is now like I'm obsessed with Fall Guys. I should have picked that as one of my three things, but I did uh -oh. not. That's been a great way to interact, too, is yeah. Twitch. And that's kind of like I think um, just like Suki was saying, we're finding different ways mm -hmm. and we're, we're seeing what catches on. You know, I had no intention of being on Twitch and I was trying other stuff. I was trying Instagram. Yeah. I was trying, uh, um, you know, uh, podcasting, doing weird quarantine podcasts. And I kind of found something on Twitch. And I'm really happy about it. I was trying OnlyFans and that didn't work out at all. <laughs> oh, Helen. <laughs> Um, uh, you've described yourself. That's right. No, you described yourself, Colt, as a professional wrestler and a semi-professional comedian, uh, which I, which I think is you are much more professional than many comedians that I know. But the point is that you love to combine comedy with wrestling. Was that something that was welcomed from the beginning, or did you really have to kind of find your own way? Now, do you say I'm more professional as a comedian because I have a good work ethic? Is that I was going to say because you have a good microphone. No, no, oh, that, that also. Uh, no, no, because you actually seem to put a lot of thought and and in, into you know what the audience's experience is going to be, which I think Helen will attest many comedians don't bother with. <laughs> yeah, I've been obsessed with comedy for a long time, and then especially alternative comedy uh, just for so many years. And it was something I always wanted to do, but uh, pro wrestling is my first love. I started when I was 18 years old. You know, I'm 40 now, so I've been doing it that, that long. And I, and I, I didn't know I was someone who loved performance. I knew I loved pro wrestling when I was younger, but as I did wrestling more and as I started you know, learning the trades and the secrets, I realized I became a performer mm -hmm. and comedy has always been one of my number one go-to. So over the years, I started developing the style where it was less like, I'm going to beat you up pro wrestler and more of, I'm going to make the audience laugh pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. And I, I came to the realization that 
you know, I'm a comedian and my stage isn't necessarily a stage. It's mm-hmm. it's a wrestling ring. Have you ever paid uh, someone in a comedy audience to run up and smack you with a <laughs> folding chair? Because that well, that would be a great convergence of your world. Yes. Right. But as a starving artist, I did not pay them. I gave them two drink tickets. <laughs> yes. There's the stand-up comedian. Thank you, thank you. You've been able to travel around the world, as you mentioned, uh, performing wrestling. Um, how do American fans compare with fans in, say, you know, Japan or Canada or other places that you've been? Is there a place where you've been surprised at the intensity or the way that fans express themselves? Yeah, you know, I've wrestled in... I, I'm not one of those people who writes it down, so it's got to be over 20 or 25 countries at this point. And I've been to Japan over 25 times. Whoa. And... Um, the Japanese crowd is amazing only because I think I'm so oversaturated in America that it, like I'm a little treat for the Japanese mm. crowd. <laughs> I, I then, feel the same way, except nobody in America knows who I am. Yeah. <laughs> You're me like a two bite brownie for Japan. I am, I'm the, that's what they're going to call me now. The cult two bite brownie cabana. <laughs> get rid of boom boom. Yeah. Yeah. Try to fit that on the uh, uniform in the theme song. We're going to get a re-edit. <laughs> Right. Cole, last thing I want to ask you about speaking of different cultures, uh, you are a Jewish pro wrestler, and I'm curious if your Judaism has informed your persona or your performance in any way. Oh, that's a good question and fun. Um, I remember as a kid seeing the wrestler Barry Horowitz, who was known as the wrestler that gets beats up, that gets beat up by the superstars. Oh, no. So, yeah. So, like, when I was a kid, Barry Horowitz was losing every single match. <laughs> no. He was the Washington but Generals of the pro wrestling? He, yes, yeah. exactly. But to me, I was like, I can't believe a Horowitz is allowed to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Like, I didn't see the wins and losses. I saw Barry Horowitz in the ring yeah, the on television. The dream that I had as an eight-year-old or whatever it might be. So Barry Horowitz gave me a lot of inspiration that, like, you know, Jews can be pro wrestlers. I didn't think it was actually a possible thing. You know, not, not that I'm that, that that I'm the rabbi of professional wrestling, but <laughs> you know, I I do have a little a lot of pride for my Judaism, specifically the culture, not necessarily the beliefs. And I do wear it as a, a badge of honor and uh, let the fans know that I am a proud Jewish professional wrestler. I think you need to rebrand yourself as the rabbi of professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I started wrestling, my mom wanted me to be called the Hebrew hunk. So. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Yes, I'm- Helen, you, you and Marsha Cabana have a lot in common. <laughs> Yeah, at first maybe she wanted you to be a lawyer or a doctor, but if you're going to be a wrestler, could it, you, you'd at least be a rabbi wrestler. Uh, yes. Excellent. Well, uh, Lahayam, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Colt Caban, everybody. <laughs> All right, Suki and Colt, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Suki, you told us you know a lot about 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes, <laughs> Whitney, okay. Whitney Houston trivia, mm-hmm. and Spanish language slang. Whereas, Colt, you said you know a lot about the 1989 Chicago Cubs, First Amendment audits, and the movie Over the Top. Later on, we'll ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics and, to some people, explain what some of those topics are. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, whether or not. First up is Suki. Suki, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? It's from Emily Carroll of West Alice, Wisconsin. Thank you, Emily. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on 
get involved. All right, Suki, in the topic of whether or not. Wait. Yep. I've I've wrestled in West Dallas okay, before. Okay. Yes. You have? <laughs> please, if any Knights location. Col- at the Knights of Columbus. Yeah. If any location comes up during the show, please let us know if you've wrestled there. <laughs> I would like to see this, con- this theme continue. All right, Suki, in the topic of whether or not. They both might result in spectacular scenery, but when talking about pretty rocks, what's the difference between weathering and erosion? Weathering and erosion. Uh, weathering is like when a stone is like tumbled, like, and erosion is when it actually falls apart. Like it, is that something? It is something. I I can't tell you if it's right or not, but, uh, (laughs) it definitely is something. We can confirm that now. All right. We have Suki's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Colt, if you don't think she's got it exactly right, you can steal. What do you think? I'm going to say when weathering is when a rock gains more stuff like moss and mm-hmm. dirt gains on a, a rock and erosion is when it fought, when it starts withering down, when it, when it loses. That's my guess. All right. Well, this segment is starting to wear us down. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. <laughs> Here are the facts. Weathering is the process of breaking up or decomposing rocks. This can happen through wind, ice, plant roots, or running water. It can also happen chemically, like through acid rain. But even just oxygen will give iron-rich rocks their rusty color because the iron inside is literally rusting. Whatever the cause, if a rock is broken down and stays in place, it's because of weathering. Because erosion is when pieces of weathered rock are carried away by wind or rain. If that rock got moved as it broke up, it's because of erosion. There you go. That is right. You can see evidence of both weathering and erosion in the Grand Canyon. Uh, the walls of the canyon mm. are weathered, and the riverbed at the bottom of the canyon is made up of small pieces of sand and gravel carried away from the rocks. Those are the eroded material. And if you thought we couldn't make a discussion about weathered rocks fun, you may be right. Helen, how did they do? <laughs> I don't think either one of you got that quite right. <laughs> no, unfortunately. Yeah. Very entertaining. Good guesses, but... Um, correct. Helen, what did you want? I grew up on Staten Island, New York. The yeah. only rocks that were <laughs> coming my way were the ones that were being thrown at me. Oh, Suki, I also grew up on Staten Island, New York. Stop it! Stop it! We were the we were the only non-Italians who were non-Jews <laughs> on Staten Island, New York. Oh my God! You're the one. I recognize you. I recognize you. You're the other Asian. And Colt, have you wrestled in Staten Island? No, but I was gonna say if. If there was a question about The Rock, you think as a pro wrestler, I would have gotten it right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next in whether or not is Colt. Colt, you might find this topic a little foggy or a little hazy, but when it comes to the weather, what is the difference between fog and haze? Oh, that's an easy one. All right. (laughs) Setting yourself up for uh, possible. Okay. Fog is the combination of rain and cold weather coming together to make a dark mist of condensation Uh and haze is the same thing but add some snow in there and some guy named joe smoking camel cigarettes (laughs) wow no wonder you thought it was an easy one all right we've got colt's answer we don't know yet if he is correct suki what do you think I'm going to say fog is when the ground temperature is warmer than the air temperature. So that creates fog. Mm -hmm. And haze is just... Interesting how you slowed down all of a sudden when you got to haze. You were clipping along at a nice pace with frog. Don't forget the cigarettes. Haze is just 
the leftover CO2 that's in the air, in the atmosphere. It's just Ooh. leftover. We don't know where to put it. We're going to put it in some haze. Yeah, we're just okay. going to leave it like as a film uh-huh. that uh, is in the atmosphere. All right, it's time I admit I haven't the foggiest idea. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Fog is made up of tiny suspended water droplets. If those droplets reduce visibility to a kilometer or less, it's fog. If you can see further than a kilometer, it's mist. Haze is also something that can cloud your vision, but instead of suspended water droplets, it's suspended solid particles like dust, smoke, or sand, or camel cigarette from Joe, possibly. Oh, possibly. We'll see if that ends up called some uh, points in there. But in the meantime, that is, of course, right. Uh, Haze can also be a suspended liquid as long as it's not water. For example, sulfur dioxide from fossil fuel burning plants can condense into microscopic droplets of sulfuric acid, forming what is called a wet haze. And if you think breathing in smog is bad, give wet haze a try. Actually, please don't. Helen, how did our guest do? I think I am going to give Colt half a yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, for saying the Joe, the Joe Camel cigarette. Right, it is a yeah. substance. It is a solid yeah. substance. Yeah. Other than yeah. that, I don't think either of you quite got the difference, but a uh, half point there for Colt Cabana. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Sukanya. Sukanya, do you want to go by Suki or Sukanya? You can call me Suki. That's fine. Okay. Suki Krishnan has zero points, and Colt Cabana has half a point. All right, but those- oh, you could call me Colt Boom Boom Cabana. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, please take it again, then. Let's get both of those in. No, I'm- no, okay. All right, well, these scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. And now, a word from our sponsor. Helen, it's time to talk about Magic Spoon. Ooh, it's your favorite, Jake. It really is. I love Magic Spoon so much. Every time I get that big blue Magic Spoon box, I'm assuming it's blue, I'm a little colorblind, but every time I see the box that in clear block letters says Magic Spoon, I get very excited because it means I've got cereal that I can eat. Now you might think, why can't you eat normal cereal, Jake Keith? Well, because I do the low carb thing and I try to cut down on sugar and unhealthy food and sometimes it feels like I can't eat anything and then, thank goodness, the beautiful Magic Spoon shows up. It makes me so happy. It's cereal, but it's so much more than cereal. Tell them, Helen, about the nutritional stuff that allows me to enjoy this. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, 140 calories, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are, get this, Cocoa. Yum. Fruity. Yum. Frosted. Yum. Peanut butter. Yum. Blueberry. Yum. And cinnamon. This is going to surprise you, but yum. They're all delicious. I love all of them. I can eat them right out of the box, or if I want to appear like I'm a sophisticated human person, I'll put them in a bowl with a spoon and put in uh, put in almond milk, unsweetened almond milk. Uh, Very sophisticated. Well, it helps to keep it low carb, and uh, that means I can maybe have two bowls uh, at least. Uh, I love the flavors. I love the texture. I love the whole thing about it. You can mix flavors like cocoa and peanut butter. You get your peanut butter cup. They had that birthday cake flavor recently. You put that in with the with the fruity. It's like having a delicious uh, childhood treat. It tastes. You could go crazy. You could go crazy with like your own custom flavors, like a frosted and peanut butter. Right. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I'm just doing the math here in my head. But if you get a uh, if you get a five box box, that gives you 25 different possible combinations of two Ooh. each. So that's math. 
math, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else you want. <laughs> the point is, even without math, it is super delicious. It's super nutritious. And boy, I'm so happy that they're a sponsor of our show. And Helen, our listeners can get a special deal because of the sponsorship of Magic Spoon of Go Fact Yourself. Tell them about that. That's right, J. Keith. If you go to magicspoon.com slash go fact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash GOFACT and use the code GOFACT to save $5 off. We love it so much. It's so delicious. And that is why we say thank Thank you, you, Magic Spoon. I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And together we host a podcast called Still Buffering, where we answer questions like, Why should I not fall asleep first at a slumber party? How do I be fleet? Is it okay to break up with someone using emojis? And sometimes we talk about bugs. No, we don't. Nope. (laughs) Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, a sister's guide to teens through the ages. I am a teenager and... I was two butts, 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 butts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests Colt Cabana and Suki Krishnan. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hong. All right, Suki, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes, Whitney Houston trivia, and Spanish language slang. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those, especially as you kind of grimace and shrug your shoulders as I read more of them. <laughs> Let's start with the first one, though. Tell us, though, why you did ultimately choose 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes. Because I was a kid whose parents worked, and I was a latchkey child who yeah. had to make... <laughs> make do with a babysitter and back then the babysitter was the Suki, I swear to god I think we're the same person <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're t- we were twinning on Staten Island with no parents and probably watching the same Absolutely. shows watching the same local channels yeah probably well, what are some of the tv themes of that era that you especially enjoy for mm-hmm. me facts of life uh let's Brady Bunch the Adams yeah. family so stuff that aired in reruns um, during that time as well yeah and then there was this thing that really ran in New York, which was the Magic Garden when I was way, way young uh, that I used to watch. And it was like this small, local show that ran on uh, Channel 11. And you ended up working time. on Channel 11. What a nice uh, circle of life. I know, That's how so great. ironic. And, and I became friends with those two ladies. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, can you sing Magic Box? Can you give me? us a few bars of Magic Box? A Magic Box, a story box, a story box, the Magic Box. Yay! Thank you, Christian, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, All right, Suki, tell us then why you chose Whitney Houston trivia as one of your topics. Because who doesn't want to be a Whitney (laughs) Houston fan? I mean, there was a couple of songs that came out in 1985, and I was like, I want to be her. And you know what? Back then, you never saw lots of women Mm. of color, right? And young girls of color. And for me, that was just like mind-blowing to see this beautiful person kind of radiate this energy and this voice that came out of nowhere and in this effortless manner. And it's just, 
I don't know. It just resonated with me. When I heard How mm-hmm. Will I Know, I was like, oh, no, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be a Whitney Houston fan for life. I think you need to invite me to your house so, A, we can we can watch The Bodyguard together. And- yeah. And B, I Let's can steal do an Emmy on my way out. <laughs> what an offer. You yeah. got a hood ornament anytime awesome. you want, awesome. it, Helen. I'll put it in. And I think we got to do a DNA test also because there, there's a, quite a possibility that you might be the same person. <laughs> All right. And then finally, Suki, you said you know a lot about Spanish language slang. Okay. <laughs> That's a stretch, but I kind of went there because it would mm-hmm. be kind of fun. I lived in Spain in, you know, 1990-something. Mm-hmm. Hung out on the streets a lot. That's where my, you know, my education yeah. was. What are some of your favorite <laughs> Spanish language slang phrases that we can say without bleeping? I don't know. Uh, vale, venga. No pasa nada. It's, um, but there's different yeah, slang like from that. different cultures, right? Like mm-hmm. Mexican slang sure, is not like, the same as Puerto Rican slang. I wouldn't know Mexican slang yeah. if it <laughs> in my face. That's the problem. Yeah. Or I wouldn't know... Like Dominican slang or Puerto Rican slang. I mean, I just, I so don't Spanish know. Spanish from all. Spain. Um, but yeah. kind of particularly from okay. Spain. Okay. Yeah. Well, to summarize, Suki, you told us you know a lot about 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes, Whitney Houston trivia, <laughs> and Spanish language slang from Spain. Today, we're going to quiz you about 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes. Where's the sound was, effect, JP? Was that one of them? I, I don't recognize that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't okay. know. <laughs> uh, do, do you miss theme songs? A lot of TV shows nowadays don't even bother with them. They just start the show right away. I do. I can't stand it. I mean, I just, you know, like, what happened to singing a lot? You know, my kids actually sing jingles on TV mm-hmm. now, which is kind of exciting. If you had to sing a TV theme at karaoke, what would it be? Ooh, a TV yeah. theme? A theme. Mm. Would it be Facts of Life? You mentioned that earlier. Probably. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Facts, facts of Life. Boot do. The Facts of Life. Everybody. The time you gotta go, you know, you have a happy job, but do. The Facts of Life. The Facts of Life. When the world never sleeps. Da 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 and suddenly you out the facts alive for all about you. Wow. Now, Suki, as a TV person, you know we can only play eight seconds <laughs> of it, right? <laughs> well, if our, our listeners would like to hear that sung by the original artist, Gloria Loring, she was an expert for our entire topic of Facts of Life uh, with Alison Rosen. So look for that in your podcast wow. feed. We, uh, we, 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 you were not the first person to sing that on our show, which is we very had unexpected. The, uh, we had the authentic, legit, original OG singer. Yeah. You had sing the goat. Yeah. Sing, yeah, Although that was goat. a very nice rendition as well. That she was episode 24. on our Thank show, you. and it was Episode 24 exciting. with Allison Rosen. You can listen for that. All right. Well, Suki, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic with our three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Colt, do listen closely because you can steal if Suki gets any of them wrong. Colt, by the way, how much do you know about 1970s and 80s TV sitcom themes? 80s a little bit. Hmm? I was born in 1980, so I don't, I don't know if I know much about 70s, but I'll give it a shot. These kids, with they, they just don't know their history anymore. It's just it's a shame. <laughs> uh, all right, Suki, here you go. Here's your first question. Some of the best TV theme songs of the 70s and 80s tell the story of the show in the lyrics, and some do it in the opening line, like this classic whose first line is, well, we're moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. What is that sitcom? The Jeffersons. Well, we're moving on up. Moving, moving on up. up. To the east side. Helen? 
That is correct. That is correct, of course. Very, very nice. <laughs> Fun fact, Sammy Davis Jr. recorded a cover of the theme song and released it on a 1978 album. That is how popular the song was and or desperate Sammy Davis Jr. was. All right. <laughs> All right. Here's question number two. Uh, some other sitcom themes from this time have lyrics, but they aren't actually sung in the show's opening. Listen to this seldom sung theme song and tell us what classic show that ran in the 70s and 80s it's from. Listen, please. Through early morning fog I see Visions of the things to be Pains that are withheld for me I realize and I can see That suicide is painless All right, Suki, what show is that from? Uh, Jake Keith, I'm going to go with MASH. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. That song <laughs> is called Suicide is Painless. Suicide, of course, is not painless. If anyone here is listening is in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. All right, Suki, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Still other themes from this era aren't as memorable for their music or their lyrics, but rather for the narration that takes place over them. For example, the 1970s TV version of The Odd Couple, which ends with the question, can two divorced men share an apartment without, without what, Suki? Killing each other? Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. Colt with a chance to steal. We have to keep this... Uh, polite? Is that correct? <laughs> no, we can bleep whatever you want. <laughs> what are they going to do to each other, Colt? My God. I'll say going at each other's throats. Helen? That is not correct. No, you both were on the right track, but the actual phrasing is driving each other crazy. Can they share an apartment oh, without driving right. each other crazy? No point there. Uh, fun fact, the music underneath actually does have lyrics written by Oscar winner Sammy Kahn. Uh, wow. It begins, no matter where they go, they are known as the couple... We'll, we'll leave the singing to Suki. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with this one. Question number four. Suki, sometimes a 1980s sitcom repurposed a hit song into its theme. Andrew Gold had a top 40 hit in 1978 with a song that was covered by Cynthia Fee for an NBC sitcom that debuted in 1985. The show ran for seven seasons, always on Saturday nights, and won 11 Emmys. What was the name of that hit song? I need a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? The song could be rephrased as, I'm grateful for your ongoing pleasant companionship. I'm grateful for your ongoing pleasant companionship. Helen Hong, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Suki, I think that unlocked something in your brain. I thought that did. Golden Girls. And we're looking for the title of the song. Thank you for being a friend. Helen, is that correct? That is correct. That was mine. Colt was ready to pounce, and I'm sorry. I, know, I saw Colt, and I was like, no, you are not. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just just, just uh, bolted off the turnbuckle of that opportunity, and uh, Colt, uh, Colt missed. I was trying to put it in language that wrestlers might understand. I understood. Oh, good. I don't understand wrestling, so I, don't, I was just guessing. Uh, all right. Very good, Suki. Here's your final question. We started this quiz about a theme song that tells about the main characters moving to a new place. This question is about two other shows where the main character moves, but it's not so much sung in the theme as shown in the visuals that play under the theme. 
on Alice and One Day at a Time, both play their theme songs under a montage of their leading lady moving to a new city, cities that are shown on a highway signs as they arrive to their new home. Name either of the cities where these leading ladies relocate during their theme song. Oh, one day at a time. It was one day at a time. This and is Alice it. is here. Oh, she knows the theme song. One day song. at a time. One day at a time. Suki, you do have a hint available. Would you like to use that hint? Sure, I'd like to use the hint. Please. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? Sports fans will know one of these as home of the Suns, the other as home of the Colts. The Suns, uh, the Phoenix. Phoenix. Helen? That is, uh, that is correct. That is correct. Okay. It's Phoenix. <laughs> Excellent use of the hint. The other one of the Colts, home of the Colts, is Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Uh, yes. Alice relocated to uh, Phoenix and on one day at a time. Is that where the diner was? That's where I the diner was. Knew. On the outskirts of Phoenix, but you saw Phoenix on the sign in the opening theme. You might not have known that, but you definitely pulled it from the clue and you ended up doing quite well in that round. Uh, fun fact, by the way, Alice was based on a movie which took place in Monterey, California, and the 2017 reboot of One Day at a Time took place in Los Angeles. All right, Suki, you ended up doing quite well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Suki, many folks who wrote classic theme songs also wrote memorable pop songs, theme songs and pop songs that you can probably relate to. For up to three points, we're asking you to identify these pieces of music. First, a theme from a show that you can probably relate to as the head of a family with growing children. Listen to this. All right, next, a theme from a show that you can probably relate to as a TV journalist. Listen to this. And finally, a song not from a show, but a duet from an early Whitney Houston album that you can probably relate to as a fan of Whitney Houston and that was written by the same composer of those themes. Listen to this. Suki bopping along to that, as she did with the other two. Uh, all right, Suki, what are your answers to those three music clues? Oh, so there's one composer that ties it all together, yes. right? Now, we're not asking you to identify the composer. We're asking you to, to identify the two shows that were sitcom-themed uh, that used okay, music. Okay, the first one was Growing Pains. All right. The second, I have no clue. You said a journalist, a it's show. A, it's about a TV uh, journalist. It's about a TV journalist and it in aired, the 80s. And yes. Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown, all right. And then the third one, we wanted you to identify that Whitney Houston duet that is from an early well, album. It's with Jermaine Jackson. Uh, right. And the name of it, though? Holy moly. This is a tricky one, but I think you can get it. All is love. All is all is love. That's a throwback. It is. Do you want to go uh, with all is love? 
Yeah, I think I am. I'm going to go with All Is Love. All right, so we've got Growing Pains, Murphy Brown, and All Is Love. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame who had number one hit songs across four decades and who wrote all three songs we just heard. It's Steve Dorff. Hello, Steve Dorff. Hey, how are you? Wow. This is fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. I want to give you a little of your bona fides as well. In addition to the songs that we heard, uh, you've written hit songs for Barbara Streisand, Kenny Rogers, Celine Dion, Anne Murray, George Strait, Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton, Cher, Willie Nelson, Whitney Houston. You've written for TV shows including Spencer for Hire, The Singing Bee, Just the Ten of Us, Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, and Reba. And you've also written for films that have included songs and scores for Bronco Billy, Rocky Four, Pure Country, Tin Cup, and Honky Tonk man you've been nominated for three grammys and six emmys and i'm sorry that's all the time we have for you (laughs) what an honor to uh, to have you join us thank you so much oh thanks for having me this has really been fun to watch Oh, thank you. You had me at Rocky Four. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh me too. Well, Helen's very excited about Rocky Four. Tell it. Let's let's jump in right with that one. What did you do on Rocky Four? Uh, I wrote a song for Kenny Loggins and Gladys Knight called uh, uh, "Double or Nothing," and uh, what? Yeah, it plays over the uh, the scene where uh, one of the training scenes. Oh, that's great. Training, yeah. a, a, I mean, what, what else can you ask for as a songwriter for a film than a Rocky montage? Yeah, that, your song? that was a good one. That was fun. Do you remember the first song of yours that you heard on the radio? Yeah, uh, Every Which Way But Loose. It was out of the oh, Cl- right. Clint, Eastwood Clint Eastwood movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, Eddie Rabbit. And uh, what was that like to hear that uh, on the radio? Well, I almost ran off the road, um, but <laughs> it was quite an amazing thing. It still is to hear, you know, I'll, I'll hear a song in the dental, dentist office or... <laughs> or in an elevator or uh, in, a, in a grocery store or, or on the radio. And it's still, yeah. it's like uh, my ear goes to it and I go, wait a minute, I know that. I know that. How do I know that song? <laughs> and then and then I realize it's one of mine. So That's a great feeling to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, do you think to yourself, I just made a quarter of a penny? Uh, close. Close to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Robert Streisand, as I mentioned, recorded several of your songs. Is that the ultimate for, for a songwriter to be in the studio uh, for, for Barbara Streisand, who many describe as just you know, the ultimate in terms of interpreting a song? Yeah, I mean, th- there are levels of celebrity, and, and I've been so blessed to have worked with the greatest voices of this generation, or really any mm-hmm. generation. I mean, from Willie to Willie Nelson to Whitney Houston. And uh, Barbara is, uh, what can I say? She's the greatest female vocalist of all time, the biggest selling mm-hmm. vocalist of all time. And Steve, how did you get into TV themes? I was doing a movie in Europe and I got a, a phone call from my agent asking if I'd want to do, at that time they called it a backdoor pilot and, and it was a mm-hmm. two hour movie of the week for ABC TV and it was Spencer for Hire with Robert Urich and, and that show ran for three and a half years and, and when I got back to Los Angeles I got called to uh, meet on a, uh, uh, a pilot for a sitcom and I went to uh, take the meeting with the three producers and then watched this uh, 22 minutes of maybe the, the lamest 22 <laughs> minutes I've ever seen on TV and uh, uh, they said, well, you know, we want you to write a, uh, you know, a theme song for it. And I go, oh, okay. And, you know, I got in my car to go home and I called my agent and I say, can you get me off this thing? <laughs> I didn't think it was, uh, was going to be successful at all and got home and 
had an appointment to write with a co-writer that uh, we were working on a really cool song. And I said, you know what, before we do that, can we take 15 minutes and, uh, and do this theme for this show? It's probably not going to amount to anything. And, uh, and so we did, we, we took about 15 minutes and wrote the theme to growing pains as long as we got each other. And, <laughs> and uh, the next day wow. the uh, producers uh, came over and I, played it for him on, uh, on the piano and uh they loved it the show ran for eight years it was the number one show on abc for many years and which shows how much i know about tv <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that theme in 15 minutes and you thought it was going to be you thought the whole show was going to be trash uh yeah pi- <laughs> uh, you know the networks back then would make so many pilots and mm. so few ever really made it on the air and um and I just got so lucky. I mean, I went from Growing Pains to uh, to Murphy Brown to Major Dad to uh, Uncle Buck. It was it was it was a great era and and uh, very tiring. I might add. I, I I had five shows on the air at one time, and and uh, I literally would be propped up every morning with a, a pot of coffee and. Uh, go to work, and uh, it was like being on a treadmill. You couldn't get off. Well, let's talk about uh, Whitney Houston. How did the song that you wrote get to be recorded by Whitney Houston and end up on her album? Great story. I mean, the truth is there there are so many great stories behind all of these songs, um, uh, and they're in my book, which is available on my website, stevedorf.com. But the story of, about Take Good Care of My Heart, I, I, got a, I had done an album, Jermaine Jackson, uh, his last album for Motown. And I hadn't seen Jermaine in three or four years. And I got a phone call one day. He had said he had just signed a new deal with Arista Records. It was his first album. He was looking for a great duet. He said, do you have anything like the song we did on the last Motown album? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, when do you need it by? And he, he said, four o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> so um so I immediately said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll uh, uh sure." And he he said, "Please come down to the studio." And uh I had a panic attack. Um <laughs> went down to the studio and uh, he came out and jumped in the front seat of my car and I randomly pulled one song out of my pocket, stuck it in the cassette player. Second chorus came and he starts singing it and he said, "That's the song." And Mm-hmm. And I wow. started saying, uh, I started getting very excited because the two women on that label, the the big la- uh, women were Aretha and Dion Warwick. Mm-hmm. And I said, Jermaine, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, can you tell me who, who the duet's going to be? Is it going to be Aretha or Dion? He, he said, no, it's this, uh, it's this new girl from... Uh, New Jersey. She's a, she's a model. She's beautiful, and she sings really well too. Um, and I was very depressed because uh, <laughs> I really wanted Aretha. And uh, I said, "Yeah, what's her name?" And he, he said, "Well, her name's Whitney Houston, and and um, uh, I'm pretty sure you'll be happy with the record." And uh, the record came out on Jermaine's album. Clive Davis then called and said, "We're doing a solo album with Whitney." I thought, okay, great, we'll sell a couple hundred thousand, maybe more on this. And, uh, you know, 17 million records later. The moral of the story is if Count Dracula (laughs) wants to record one of my songs, I let him. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, that you don't know you don't know what a turkey is going to be. You you're not great at identifying. Yeah, and you it. never know who the next Whitney Houston's going to be. That's amazing. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned, and we'll get some uh, more details on these. First, we wanted to identify that first theme song from a show she could probably relate to as the head of a family with growing children. Helen, what did Suki say? Suki said growing pains. And Mr. Dorf? Yeah, that's that's correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Next, we wanted her to identify the theme from a show that she could probably relate to as a TV journalist. Helen, what did Suki say? Suki said Murphy Brown. And Steve Dorf? That's correct. That's correct as well. Another point for Suki. And finally, we wanted to know, not from a show, but as a Whitney Houston fan, what was the name of that duet that appeared on an early (laughs) Whitney Houston album? Helen, what did Suki say? Suki said, all is love. And uh, Mr. Dorf? Yeah, I I haven't written that one yet. Um, No, that's not correct. (laughs) It was was, uh, take good care of my heart. Take good care of my heart. Oh, so close. Uh, That's so amazing that that ended up both on Jermaine Jackson's album and on Whitney Houston's album. Yes. What's so fun about your music in particular is that a lot of it originally was introduced by country artists and then it ends up having a life of its own in other different iterations. That must be fun for you as a songwriter. Yeah, it it is because you you never, I never really sit down and say, I'm going to write a country song or an Mm R&B song. In fact, I Crossed My Heart, which was a huge hit for George Strait, I originally wrote for uh, Boys to Men. So you, ah. you, you just you never know where they're going to yeah. where they're going to end up. Well, it, it just shows you that good, good, a good tune can appeal to artists no matter what their genre. Uh-huh. Uh, before we let you go, Suki, is there anything you'd like to ask of or say to our expert while we have him here? Wasn't there another duet with Jermaine Jackson and Whitney Houston? Yes, I believe it was on that same album. The first album. And I know it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that was also covered by Anne Murray, believe it or not. And I, if you say my eyes are beautiful, it's because they're looking at you. <laughs> you sing good. And covered again <laughs> by Suki Krishna yeah. today. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't uh, remember the title of that, but but you're right. They did, uh, Jermaine yeah. did two duets with uh, with Whitney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve Dorf, you have a book out now entitled I Wrote That One Too. Fantastic title. Uh, and if people want to hear more about your work, where else can they go? www.stevedorf.com. That's, uh, it's got everything, everything you need to know about me on there. Incredible. Excellent. Well, we're so happy that we got to know you a little bit uh, today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Songwriting guys. Songwriting Hall of Famer, Steve Dorf. Steve. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Suki Krishnan has six points and Colt Cabana has half a point with a round of questions for Colt coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Colt about a topic he knows about. Plus later, Suki and Colt will go head to head in our fast facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. And now a word from our other sponsor. Helen Hong, I know you're very excited because our brand new sponsor, Lifespan Fitness, sent you a Lifespan Fitness treadmill. Oh my goodness. That's right. It's an under-desk treadmill, Jay Keith, because as you know, I have a new baby at home, which means I am never leaving my house again. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I still want to exercise, so they sent me this clutch, amazing new piece of fitness equipment. It fits under the desk that I have in my house, and so I can take meetings while walking while doing my steps. It's kind of amazing. Unbelievable. Well, of course, Lifespan Fitness is dedicated to making fitness accessible and affordable. They believe that your office should help you work and feel better with these under-desk treadmills and exercise bikes. Lifespan Fitness treadmill 
and bike desks help you make the most of your workspace, whether you are starting your fitness journey or wanting to stay more active at work. Yeah, now they might seem dangerous, but they're not. And they're not hard to use because most work will become second nature within a week or so. Now, typically people walk between half and two miles per hour. Think of how many miles you can log while you work. You're not going full tilt in a sprint while you're taking (laughs) meetings on this thing. But if you already have a standing desk or a desk you love, you can easily add an underdesk bike or treadmill. And if you need a complete setup, Lifespan also sells the desk equipment in a combo. Wow. Hey, visit LifespanFitness.com and use code GFY5. That's G-F-Y as in go fact yourself and the number five, and you'll save 5% off at checkout. That's LifespanFitness.com and code GFY5. Thank, Thank you, you Lifespan Life Fitness. <laughs> Excellent. Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow. The cover. We've got a new champion. We're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. Woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices. Myself excluded. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah, dig it. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Colt Cabana and Suki Krishnan. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Colt, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the 1989 Chicago Cubs, First Amendment audits, and the movie Over the Top. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose the 1989 Chicago Cubs. Well, first, I want to say I know everything about professional wrestling and nothing about anything else. So (laughs) (laughs) this is all relative, relative uh, expertise. Okay, here we go. Uh, Chicago kid. I grew up in Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago. My mother was a was and is a diehard Cubs fan, although this year she told me she might be done at 75 years old. At least we we won her a World Series, and by we, yes, I do mean I am part of the team that won. <laughs> Thank the World you for Series. your service, Colt. We all appreciate <laughs> yes, it. Yes, you're welcome. And so I, I guess I had to. I just whittled it down. I was nine years old. Yeah. I came home from school. My mother was a teacher. She would always be on the couch after school watching the games on WGN, and I would always sit down with her. And so I guess by osmosis and playing video games and collecting baseball cards, mm-hmm. the '89 Chicago Cubs. Wow. Well, I can relate. I am from Chicago as well. I remember watching that uh, playoff series and that team. Uh, and I know nothing yep. about pro wrestling. So <laughs> I was trying to bond with you like Helen was bonding with Suki, but I don't know if we have as much. Uh, all right. Next, you said you know a lot about First Amendment audits. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what that is to you. The same way that you said that you were obsessed with YouTubing anchor bloopers. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. News bloopers. Yeah. I have found myself in a year and a half wormhole of First Amendment audit videos, and I cannot stop. And what what even is a First Amendment audit? What is that? Okay. What is it? Thank you for asking. I'll be back in about half an hour. I'll give you the short run of it. Essentially, these people who love the First Amendment freedom of press, they go out and they know their rights and they film whatever they want, and they kind of a little bit 
it depends who you like. I'm a star of the ones that don't bait as much, but they kind of get cops to like yell at people <gasps> for invoking their first amendment and so you see some of these ones that are natural and some of the ones that just happen to be caught on film is like bully cops telling people they can't do what they legally can do and then i love watching the people who film and they're like we can't do it we're going to stick up for ourselves and then the the most heartwarming is when they do win the least heartwarming is when the cops then put them in jail and then you're like no that's not no no wait so so meaning Meaning you are allowed, you are allowed, the, the general public, yeah. everyone in the United States is allowed to film. If you are on public, on a sidewalk, you can film a jail, the property of a jail or the police department, or you can go into a police department in uh, the area that's not private, like the public sector of it, or the, the, the foyer, if you will. You're al- That's for the public. And so if you have a, a camera, people get super nervous, but the reality is, is like, I, the Constitution says you can do it, and so. And I feel I should point out that uh, Colt does not speak as the professional uh, legal counsel for Go Fact Yourself. Please check <laughs> yes. with your own legal counsel before going out and doing this. But uh, but I, I know what you mean. It's it's people who have a right to do something and and really kind of uh, put that right in the face of people who maybe don't want that. And sometimes it's to provoke them, but also sometimes it's also to sort of uh, assert their own rights in a very to educate, yeah, yeah ed- to educate education. About what they're allowed and to I do. don't like I don't like the ones the provoking. Yeah ones i do like the educational ones. all right that's, great all right and finally Cole cabana tell us why you chose the movie over the top and for those who are not familiar perhaps maybe explain a little bit about what this movie is who's not familiar with uh, the 1987 arm wrestling classic uh, helen and suki are raising their hands apparently that didn't make it across the river to staten island <laughs> where sylvester stallone <laughs> has to drive a truck halfway across america in order to win the love of his child <laughs> And arm wrestle. And and in order to win the love, he must win an arm wrestling competition in Vegas where the odds are stacked against him. Wait, what year did this come out, this movie? Uh, 1987. And why are you obsessed with it? I don't know. (laughs) Right. So I grew up and I love professional wrestling, but I love He-Man and Ninja Turtles and I loved sport and character and like what like Bloodsport was a favorite movie of mine, but also there was something about like a, a competition and a tournament and different characters that always got me. And for some reason, Over the Top was just on every single day on TBS. <laughs> and I watched it every single oh. day. <laughs> All right. Well, to summarize, Colt, you said you know a lot about the 1989 Chicago Cubs, First Amendment audits, and the movie Over the Top. Today we're going to quiz you about the movie Over the Top. Nice. All right. You seem to approve. Uh, how old were you when you first saw it? I'm going to say maybe I was nine years old, oh, probably wow. when it came out on VHS. And of course, at that point, I would have rented it at the local Walgreens where they had a <laughs> rental. <Whoa. there. laughs> nice. And how many times do you think you've seen it over the years between that and TBS and all that? It, my guess would be 100. <gasps> wow. Wow. Okay, that's up there. Yeah. And uh, do you have any favorite scenes or uh, favorite lines from the film? Bull Hurley, the, the main villain, says, uh, he goes, there's like a close up of him. He goes, I drive truck, break arms, and arm wrestle. It's what I love to do. It's what I do best. <laughs> Cole Cabana, ladies and gentlemen. Thank we you. Had two theme songs now, Colt with that. that is a line. All right, well, Colt, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic of over the top to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want to, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Suki, do listen closely because if Colt answers incorrectly, you can steal. Suki, Suki, by the way, how much do you know about the movie Over the Top? Nothing. Absolutely okay. nothing. I vaguely remember that movie, and mm-hmm. uh, 
I will just keep continue to say the opposite. <laughs> okay. Well, Coat, let's see if you can give her an answer that's wrong and see what she comes up with for the opposite. Here's question number one. Colt, Sylvester Stallone plays Lincoln Hawk, an arm wrestler who drives a semi-truck. And wouldn't you know it, what turns out to be the grand prize in the arm wrestling tournament he's trying to win? Well, it's two things. It's a cash prize of $100,000 and a $250,000 brand new truck. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. What are the odds? He gets to win a truck and he's a truck driver. Colt giving us the championship pose. Also, yes. can I put an asterisk in there? <laughs> Please. Uh, the love of his child. And the love of his child also, yes. Yes, that was on a certificate that was framed. Fun fact, that truck that he won, or could have won, we don't want to spoil the ending, was a 1987 Volvo White WIM 64T. The truck that he drove for most of the movie was a 1965 A64B auto car, as I'm sure Colt knew. Hmm. All right, here's question number two. As seen in the movie's trailer commercials, and music video. When Hawk is denied admission to his father-in-law's gated mansion compound, what method does he use to gain entry? First, he gets in his truck. Yeah. And then he backs up. And you're like, is Lincoln leaving? And he's like, no, I'm going to drive forward over the fountain, through the gates, and crash through. Helen? That is correct. That is exactly right. (laughs) Conflict resolution from 1987. Uh, fun fact, the compound depicted was also used as the Clampett's Mansion in the Beverly Hillbillies TV show. I got to say, I have never once seen this movie, and I don't feel like I need to after listening to you talk about it. I feel like you're, Helen, I think you might enjoy it. I There's, feel like your depiction yeah. of the movie is kind of going to be more entertaining to me at this point. <laughs> it might be, actually. You're right. I will say, uh, not only does this movie fail the Bechdel test, I don't think there's any two women in any scene together in this movie. <laughs> Movie. Oh, it's probably true. <laughs> it's probably true. All right, question number three. Colt, it's hard to think of that movie and not think of its rock anthem sung by Sammy Hagar, which features the lyric, In time, he'll take it over the top. But what is the actual title of this song? Oh, I'll take a hint, actually. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? In contrast, according to the lyrics, Loser Takes the Fall. Loser Takes the Fall. Winner takes it all. Fight to the beginning of the end. Ah! (laughs) Winner takes it all. Winner takes it all. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Fun fact, that song was co-written by the film's composer, Giorgio Moroder, who had already won three Oscars for his work. It features a bass guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen. Not not to mention Winner Takes It All by yeah. ABBA. That's not the song no, that no, was no, featured sir. now. No, no. For some, some reason, it's, ama- it's amazing the, the parallel thought that uh, two incredible groups came up with the same title of a song. I'm... Yeah, Suki, you and I are the same person. <laughs> I was like, All right, Colt, oh, like the one from ABBA? Yeah. Oh, no, not yeah. that one? Oh, okay. <laughs> Colt, you're three for three. Here's question number four. Many of the arm wrestling scenes in the film's climax look real because they featured real competitive arm wrestlers. One of those arm wrestlers actually won an arm wrestling tournament called Over the Top and later became a professional wrestler, a full-body wrestler, not just arm, like you, Colt. Who is it? Well, it is my good friend. It is a man I have podcasted with. It is Scott Flash Norton. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for wow. the point. I have to say, Colt, normally we would have made that a question number five. We didn't know how easy it was for you because we figured you'd probably know this guy. Not only do I know him, 
he, when he sees me coming, he backs yeah. off because he knows the over-the-top questions are coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, fun fact, and you'll probably know this, Norton has also worked as a bodyguard for Prince. I did not know that. Oh, well, there's something else oh, to talk about. Oh, you need about. to ask him about yes, that. Yes, I mean, we, what, we kind of, what kind of crazy stories he got is that? I, I will say that I wrestle consistently at First Avenue where Purple Rain was filmed in Minnesota. It all oh. comes together. All right, here's question number five. You have a chance to go five for five, Colt. Just before and just after arm wrestling Hawk, a character named Grizzly is shown drinking two brand name products. One of them is a motor oil and one is an effervescent antacid and pain reliever. Name these two brands. Okay, I think I know it, but, you know, I'll take the hint just to have it. Also, can I do an asterisk also? Yes. Uh, His name is John Grizzly. Thank you. Oh, very, very nice. (laughs) A bonus fun fact. Uh, Helen, he did ask for the second hint. What is that hint? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. The motor oil starts with a V. Okay, I was going to say Castrol, but it must be, Mm. it must be You've got the first sound of the word. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I don't. When, when I'm vast, I want to say vas, Vaseline. I don't. I don't know. I don't give, know. Give it a little thought. I think, yeah. you'll, I think it'll bubble up for you. Vassal, vassal get, oil, vatter oil, vassal. I, I don't. My, don't. Okay, I so, always thought it was castor oil. Uh, okay, so so give us give us your final answer then. Alka Seltzer and Vaseline. Helen, that is not correct. Not yeah. quite correct. Suki with a chance to steal. Um, Alka-Seltzer and Valvoline. Uh, Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, wow. Alka-Seltzer and Vaseline is for Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Helen, how would you like to divide the point? Because he did get uh, the Alka-Seltzer. Do you want to give yeah, half a point? He's got to get the half a point. Yeah. yeah why, don't, why don't you each get half a point? Yeah. All right. Half a point each. Yeah. Still a very, very nice job. In that Suki, round. I'm very impressed with your knowledge of over the top on that question, by the way. <laughs> yes, it really it really demonstrated an intimate uh, knowledge of that film. All right. Colt, you did very well in that round. But now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Colt, the movie is about arm wrestling, of course, but as you mentioned, it's also about the estranged relationship of a father and son, Lincoln and his son, Michael. For up to three points, instead of dad, what does Michael call his father for most of the movie? How old is Michael in the movie? And who played Michael? Okay, can I answer these in different orders? Yes, you yeah. can do it in terms however you like. Okay, David Mendenhall was, was the kid. Okay. God, I'm going to say he was 13 all right. Maybe, oh God, the bar mitzvah boy in me wants to say 13. <laughs> <laughs> and what does he call him? Yeah, what does he call him for most of the movie instead of dad? Oh, sir. He calls him sir. He calls him okay. sir. All right. So we've got sir, 13, and David Mendenhall. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an award-winning actor, producer, and entertainment attorney whose over 50 film and TV credits include playing Sylvester Stallone's son, Michael, in Over the Top, it's David Mendenhall. David Mendenhall. Oh, there he is. Hello, sir. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Hi. Oh, my. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you. It's been a great show so far, by the way. I'm having a great time. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And it will continue to be a great show by having you here. Colta, tell us about your reaction. You were were giving chef's kisses out (laughs) on the the Zoom. Uh, Oh, he wants to to arm wrestle me. Over, please. Uh, Bring it over the top. 
This yeah. is so fun, so amazing. Uh, thank you for doing this. And I'm such a huge fan, obviously. Yeah, well, likewise. But yeah, Colt, or should I say Boom Boom? Thank you. <laughs> thank you, man. Yes. Thank you, brother. Uh, well, we're going to talk about Over the Top in a little bit. But uh, first, David, uh, what a career you had. You started acting at age four. What was your first gig? It was a commercial for Hasbro. Mm-hmm. It was a toy commercial. You know, those Saturday morning commercials that would show up all throughout the late 70s and early 80s. Amazing. Uh, Helen mentioned, of course, that you were an award-winning actor. Many of those awards were for uh, General Hospital. You were on uh, General Hospital for a while as a kid. I've heard people say uh, when they become accomplished actors that being a young person on a soap opera is some of the best acting training you can have for working in show business. Was, Was that your experience as well? It is true. My experience on General Hospital was like doing a play every day. I was on there for about six and a half, seven years, and I worked two or three times a week Mm. during that whole time from eight years old until I was 15, until the time we filmed Over the Top. I have done two episodes of one soap opera and it was the most stressful I've ever been on a set (laughs) because the, the, the casting director at the time told me, you don't get a second take. And I mean, <laughs> you do not get a second take. Do not screw it up because you don't get a second take. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Which I'm sure for a kid is just the kind of pressure you want to have. Well, they were great. Yeah. But the time that I was on General Hospital, mm-hmm. it was the Luke and Laura days, kind oh, of the God. halcyon the halcyon days of that show. Wow. It became a hit while I was on it. And... Uh, a cultural phenomenon. You must have been recognized left and right every time you went out. I was. I was recognized. A lot of people who watched the show would come up to me and pinch my cheeks <laughs> on my face. Okay. And, <laughs> Thank you for uh, clarifying. And the connection to Over the Top, I'll mention about that, is General Hospital is where I honed my skills mm-hmm. as an actor, learning how to make myself cry. Mm. <gasps> now... You've seen Colt, you've seen the movie, so you know what's up. <laughs> uh, but that's where I I, uh, I got that skill, oh, I guess you Oh, I bet say, you going. cried so good. YouTube. There's plenty <laughs> that's of it. Funny, funny. That's very yeah. weird that you can Google your own name plus the word crying and have a lot of video oh, results. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, one of the other things you did uh, in the 80s, you did a lot of uh, great VO work in a lot of kids' shows, uh, stuff like the original Transformers movies, the Transformers TV show, Smurfs, Rain- Rainbow Bright, Bernstein Bears, G.I. Joe. Uh, so you were a kid making stuff for kids. Um, these were shows that were huge for kids your age. Did other kids know it was you, and uh, did that leave to any <laughs> was that fun or not as fun to, to have kids uh, know that that was your voice on their favorite shows? Quickly, the first voiceover I remember doing was a part on Puff the Magic Dragon, mm-hmm. uh, working with Burgess Meredith. I knew who he was even at that young age. I was about eight. Some of my friends at school knew about Transformers. Yeah. I was a fan myself. Yeah. I loved the Transformers. I loved watching it. Uh, G.I. Joe, I did those at about the same time with the same director. Mm-hmm. It was just a dream as a kid. I can't, oh, believe, yeah. I can't believe you worked with Burgess Meredith from Rocky, and you also worked with Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I made that connection. How about that? You know, well, there's a, another connection in this show. You mentioned Allison Rosen. Mm-hmm. I know Allison. I've known her since the 90s. And another over-the-top trivia piece is that I think she picked Facts of Life because they filmed the opening at her college. 
They also filmed the opening of Over the Top at the college there, the, the Claremont College is the whole opening oh. scene where my character's graduating from, uh, military yeah. school. Yeah, oh no kidding. Was filmed at the same college, so... Funny connections today. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about what you've done later in your life. Uh, you became a lawyer, which I think a lot of people will be surprised at. I'm a huge game show fan, and I was delighted to see that you ended up using that law degree to work in game shows. Tell us about that. My intention when I was graduating college was to go into the business mm-hmm. and learn it from the inside. Mm-hmm. I had grown up, of course, doing acting, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do more, including produce. I found myself working on Deal or No Deal for some 60 episodes and, uh, of course, hosted by Howie Mandel. Yeah. And it was a great experience, which led to other work in the game show world. Yeah. As a lawyer, do you know about First Amendment audits? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent follow-up. Yeah. I am going to study that for my... Post law school education credits. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Maybe uh, boom boom. Maybe we can talk more about that later. Yeah. I, Let me recommend San Joaquin Valley Transparency. He is. He is a good site. Okay. Thank you. Well, it looks like we might have an official go fact yourself uh, legal counsel when it comes down to it. We'll see. When I get arrested the next time I videotape somebody in public, I'm gonna be calling you desperately. So. <laughs> and I'll watch my, it. Please have yes, my back. There you go. It's a deal. Uh, all right, David. Let's talk about over the top. Uh, let's talk about how you got cast and what it was like meeting and working with uh, Sylvester Stallone. I was 14 when I got the part. Thanks to General Hospital, I started going out on interviews for Over the Top. I went on at least seven, seven calls for that movie. I went up against a lot of other people for it. I found out I got it. Initially, my dad, who was my manager and my agent, turned it down. What? This was on a Friday. and. Canon Films, who produced the film, came back to my agent on Monday and made them a better business offer, Ooh. which included doing two more movies for that company, which I did. Nice. Uh, Go, later. Dad. Yeah, good job, manager dad. Can I please ask, when you yeah. first met Sylvester Stallone, did you go, oh my God, you're Rocky? Because <laughs> that's what I the, would do. You know, Helen, at that time... Stallone was really the biggest star in the entire world, Mm -hmm. like the biggest star there was. The first time I met him was for a read-through of the movie, of the script before we started filming. I think I said, "Uh, excuse me, but should I call you Mr. Stallone? I was just so nervous. Yeah. And he said, no, man, just call me Sly. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and that was the start of, of, I'd say just the best working relationship. So no, uh, you're saying no, you didn't say, oh my God, you're rocking. <laughs> Inside maybe, you <laughs> screamed it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Actually, well, when my dad turned down the movie, I think I probably said, oh my God, you turned it down? <laughs> oh my God, that was Yeah. Uh, that was probably one. <laughs> there was so much emotion that you brought to that part, as you mentioned, you know, about learning, you learned to cry at General Hospital, and that, that, that came in handy on, on this movie. Well, what, mm-hmm. what, what was the hardest scene for you? Was it one of the emotional ones, or was it one of the more physical ones, or was it all just pretty normal for you? Do you want me to answer? Yeah, go ahead, Colt. <laughs> it was driving Colt, the well, truck, right? Driving the truck? What looked the most difficult? Yeah, the driving the truck looked the most difficult. The crying looked really difficult as well. 
driving before I got my driver's license yeah. was one of the best parts oh, yeah. of making that movie. Well, how realistic was that? Because uh, there is a scene where, where uh, famously Sylvester Stallone's character teaches you how to drive the truck. Wow. Uh, how much of that was, was actually being taught at the time? It was really cool how they did did that. They actually, if I recall, they had three of those rigs. <gasps> One was a picture car mm-hmm. where it was towed while we filmed our scenes. One was a working car uh, truck, and one was a car where the crew had built a, a steering wheel, a whole Cassie, underneath the rig, underneath the, the cabin of the wow. truck. So when I shot the scene, uh-huh. uh, kind of spoiler alert, when I was supposed to be driving the truck, yeah. it was actually a stuntman in the truck underneath us, underneath the cab. I'm not going to lie, actually I'm, I'm very relieved to hear that. They <laughs> 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 did actually not just set a kid up on a big semi to do that. Well, it looked very realistic. I cannot, this is, as soon as we finish recording, this is, I'm going to run and go watch this movie, because this movie <laughs> looks, I mean, from from just listening to you guys talk about it, yeah. it sounds freaking epic. It's got everything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we can do a you're, watch along, Helen. Yeah, oh, that'll you're be fun. Drive, little you is driving the truck, and Sylvester Stallone is arm yeah. wrestling and driving. Yeah. Through, oh my god, I need to see it. And don't forget the guy drinking Valvoline. I mean, Helen, really. I mean, it was such a fun movie to work on, and so many people I get to meet or who contact me tell me about how much they they love that film. So again. Colt, thanks for uh, thanks for knowing the movie. No, thank you. <laughs> That's lovely to hear. Well, let's get to the reason we did bring you here as far as the game portion is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Colt. We wanted to know, uh, first, instead of Dad, what does Michael call his father for most of the film? Helen, what did Colt say? Colt said, sir. And David? Sir is correct. That is correct for the point. Sir. That's one point more for Colt. Next, we wanted to know how old is Michael in the movie? We heard, David, that uh, you were 14 and turned 15, but Helen, we were asking about uh, the age that you played. Helen, what did Colt say? Colt said 13. And David? 12. Oh, My, so close. The character was 12 years old. Yes, still more of the Torah to, uh, to learn. <laughs> yeah, one more uh, year. <laughs> uh, and finally, we want to know, Helen, who... That's po- the sequel. Yes, that's... <laughs> Oi for the top. All right, uh, finally, we want to know... Are you proud of sorry. that one, Jake Keith? You proud of that? I, I just thought of that one, and wow. we are not cutting it. I don't care if the ADL comes after no, us. Nobody's ever... Really? ...ever done that pun. I, I love it. I Thank finally you. got one in there. All right, and finally, Helen, we wanted to know who played Michael in the movie Over the Top. What did Colt say? Colt said David Mendenhall. And who was it? David Mendenhall. It was you. You Very good. Another point for Colt Cabana. All right, David, before we let you go, Colt, is there anything you'd like to say or ask of David Mendenhall while we have him here? I mean, obviously, I'd love to do an hour sit-down interview with you right now. But, okay, as a professional wrestler, there there was four professional wrestlers in this movie, which included, um, we talked about Scott Norton. Uh, The female arm wrestler was Reggie Bennett. Um, uh, Terry Funk. And then who was the fourth one? Um, oh, uh, the, the Smasher was Greg Magic Schwartz. I'd like to know if you, uh, if any of those, uh, if you talked to any of them, if they had an impression. Uh, Terry Funk was obviously Mr. Cutler's bodyguard, and maybe I, I think you did some scenes with him. So I'd love to know obviously, any kind of. <laughs> but, yeah. I'd love to know any kind of interaction or impression with some of the wrestlers on the Great on question. the scene. Terry Funk stands out in my memory the most because we worked together more than the others you mentioned who I worked with only on the Las Vegas location. 
Uh, and I remember him as such a great personality and spirit. He was always in a great mood. He was loving it. But can I say, yep. one of my favorite people who's no longer with us, who worked on that show, I mean, of course, there was Robert Loja, mm -hmm. Susan Blakely, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but uh, Rick Zumwalt, who played the villain. Mm -hmm. He was a great guy. And I remember the last time I saw him, he said, uh, this was uh, in the early 2000s, Rick said, David, I have a great idea for an over-the-top sequel. Oh, was it Oi for the Top? <laughs> <laughs> well, I only wish I knew. Okay. Well, I have but to yeah, say, he was great. I got to say, it's so wonderful to to have you, but also to to see you tell these stories and be smiling as you think back on them. You know, so many people who worked as young actors who who don't have such pleasant memories. It's so great that that a movie that is so beloved by people like Cole uh, also brings back such pleasant memories for you. And you've brought so many smiles to our face by being here tonight. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and your work, David Mendenhall, where can they do that? I have a page dedicated toward my acting. It's actor David Mendenhall on Facebook. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You put this show over the top. David yeah. Mendenhall, everybody. <laughs> so nice to meet everybody. Thank you to you all and everybody behind the scenes. Thank you. Thank you. So cool. So cool indeed. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? Ooh, it is a really tight game right now. Suki Krishnan has six and a half points and Colt Cabana has seven points. Oh my goodness, very close indeed. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Suki and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Suki, the McFlurry is a dessert item at McDonald's. True. Correct. Colt, the McFlurry was added to the McDonald's menu in 1967. False. Correct. Wow. You have to be mean about it. Um, <laughs> no, it was 1997 when it was added. Suki, the McFlurry. I remember. Was in yes. <laughs> Suki, the McFlurry was invented in Canada. Uh, True. Correct. Our neighbors to the north. Colt, the McFlurry was originally test marketed in Hawaii. False. Incorrect. No, it really was, and mahalo for that. Suki, McDonald's in the UK offered a Cadbury cream egg McFlurry. Cadbury cream egg. Cadbury uh, cream egg. McFlurry. McFlurry. I'll say true because the Brits are weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, they are weird, and it <laughs> is true. Uh, Colt, McDonald's in the Netherlands offered a Stroop Waffle McFlurry. False? Incorrect. No, they really did. My homeland. Uh, Suki, McDonald's in Germany offered a Wiener Schnitzel McFlurry. I'll say false. Correct. I would still try it, though. Colt, McDonald's in Malaysia offered a Groovy Lime McFlurry. False. Incorrect. No, they really did. Suki, McDonald's in Malaysia offered a Funky Lemon McFlurry. True. Incorrect. No, that one's ridiculous. Colt, <laughs> McDonald's in Malaysia offered a dinosaur McFlurry. False. Incorrect. No, they really did. And finally, Suki, the dinosaur McFlurry was made with real dinosaur. False. <laughs> Correct. Yes, uh, <laughs> they don't need dinosaur in uh, Malaysia. Uh, let's give a nice thanks to Suki and Colt as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of tonight's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Suki Krishna has ten and a half points and Colt Cabana has eight points. Congratulations, Suki. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? 
I would like to thank uh, my mom, my dad, and my kids for being asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the singing didn't wake, didn't arise them from their it slumber? Didn't, it didn't. It just, it was a quite lull- a lullaby. A, quiet a lullaby. lullaby. They are very lucky to be sleeping so soundly. All right, before we go, we just want to give everyone a chance to promote anything that they might like to do. Suki, where can people find you and your work? All right, guys. Uh, Love Games Discovery Plus, if you're a fan of the 90-day universe, it's basically everything that you want in one channel. Discovery Plus. It is just an extension of all your favorite shows, so watch me there. Suki Krishnan, thank you so much for joining us. Suki, it's wonderful to see you again. Colt Cabana, where can people find you and your work? Well, first of all, I'm doing a rematch with Suki in an over-the-top arm wrestling competition in Las Vegas. <laughs> I'm watching it right now. I'm just going to tell you that, Colt. No, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging oh. you for this for this title. I want a rematch. I challenge whoever wins the arm wrestling between the, either one of you. Oh. Yes. My shoulder hurts just thinking about it. Uh, Twitter and Instagram and basically every Everywhere else at Colt Cabana. I also have a podcast. Well, I've, I've been doing the art of wrestling since 2010, but I've actually just started a brand new podcast called Wrestling Anonymous, where wrestling fans anonymously call in their obscure or fun or weird wrestling stories. And I'm kind of the curator that's Wrestling Anonymous wherever you get your podcasts. I also like to Twitch. I play video games all the time, twitch.tv slash Colt Cabana. I also wrote a children's book, and I put out a comedy wrestling documentary, and I have fun figures and tchotchkes. That's all over at coltmerch.com or coltcabana.com. Oh, and of course, watch me on All Elite Wrestling every single Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on TNT. He does it all. He's Colt Cabana. Helen Hong is my hosting partner. Helen, where can people see you do your thing? Please check out my dad's YouTube channel. It's a new YouTube channel where I interview my parents about their insane, crazy life stories. The channel is called Old Korean Dad Stories and Sometimes Mom. Very nice of you to let her in there as well. People are going to want to hear that. Thank you. She is funny. She is Helen. She is Hong. She is Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on uh, Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. Also, apparently I wrote a show called Love Games. Am I saying that right, Suki? Yes. Love Games. I was a writer on. That is on Discovery+. Plus. You can uh, watch all of the wonderful craziness there on your streaming service called Discovery+. Plus. That just leaves me to thank Colt Cabana, Sukanya Krishnan, Steve Dorf, David Mendenhall. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. Someday. Remember? It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Thomas J. did. He, she, or they said, five stars for Jay Keith. He's been magical since his days in the NY comedy scene. Thanks, Thomas J. And I'm going to give five stars to Helen, too. She's magic, too. Helen? Oh, thank you. Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer, engineer, editor, and overall amazing guy, Julian Burrell. Special thanks to Courtney Harden and Nikki Lichterman at Discovery, Brian Smith at Leadership Artists, Harlan Bowl at B. Harlan Bowl Public Relations, Robin Randall, Mary Chalenza, Michael J., Paul Goebel, 
Scott J. Langto, Brandon J. Carr, Clint Tauscher, Mike Avellanos, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go watch Over the Top again. Or for the first time. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.